Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to languages for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Dent, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I am your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to our Masks of Neurothotep campaign where we are taking a small walk down something we're calling memory lane. And so I am joined tonight by a single investigator. Please introduce yourself. Hi, this is Morgan. I play Lillian Lane. And we are going to take a sidestep into a different sort of place for Miss Lane. You're not really certain where the first feeling comes from in your body, whether it's the fingertips or your hands or arms, but something feels like you've lost sensation in them. And you're set upon by this image of staring down at your hands. And you can kind of see your thumbs and fingers work back and forth in a rhythm with one another. You're testing your index and your middle and your ring and your pinky together. And it feels like a feeling of disconnection. Like they don't feel real. You are wearing a, a very fitting outfit. Blouse, which is off-white, perhaps cream color. You're wearing a dark pair of trousers, which you've accented with a decent pair of walking shoes. This is clearly something that you are very comfortable wearing. You can feel the fabrics against your skin. The path beneath your feet is cobblestone. And as your eyes come back up, they pass over your arms and hands. And you see before you, street. Cobblestone stretches out far and wide. There are uh, buildings to the left and the right. And they seem, your, your vision almost seems to dead end at a very large building at the end of the row here. Stars above are few, but bright. And off to your right, down this sweeping hill of what appear to be Italian-style villa buildings, there is a wide lake that stretches out. Or perhaps that's the Mediterranean. It's difficult to say. Do I recognize the place that I'm in? No. It almost seems to exist between a couple of different worlds. It, it could be someplace in Italy. You're not quite certain. There are several old Italian-style villa and almost Roman-era buildings. But then the structures that are further down towards the lake itself are even older. In fact, they don't even look... Well, they don't even look Italian. You can see that some of them have small minaret towers. Some of them have their own strange and, and oddly shaped buildings. These towers or semi-towers that move and 
there are parapets on some buildings and not on others. It's quite strange. It is clearly evening. Uh, the sky is darkened. The few stars that are out are, as I said before, bright. There is a emptiness, though, to the streets here, other than the cobblestone and the buildings. There are a few lanterns lit on almost rusted wrought iron attached to the buildings. And while there is no pervasive feeling of happiness or dread here, it's clear that the building that is at the end of the row here is something that the people here fortune. They quite enjoy this building. You can tell it's been planned out in the structure of the streets here. It's almost as if this building has been set apart from everything else that is here, and it is wide and also tall. Two grand towers on the left and right-hand side. It looks like an opera house. Is there any people outside? Not a soul. I'm assuming I find that odd or no, or I just am like having carefree, like, this is this is great. <laughs> I won't make any assumptions for you, Slain. You'll have to tell me whether or not you feel it's odd. Well, one, I, I would wonder how I got to this place. I don't remember traveling here. I'm just kind of, while I'm hyper-focused on that building, the larger building, mm-hmm. I just kind of be looking around like, Where's everybody at? Where am I? I maybe um, am I able to like look in any of the windows at any of the side buildings? Sure. The windows here, at least along the row, are mostly dark. There are a few signs up. They appear to be in what you th- you think is Italian. At least you're fairly certain. And I can't read Italian, so that's <laughs> that does me no good. Sure, but but you'd seen. A little bit of probably Italian script when you stopped in, temporarily speaking, when you stopped in Lausanne on the train, you probably would have seen an Italian newspaper or so seeing some of the lettering makes you feel like it's Italian. The cobblestone here definitely gives an audible click to your steps. So I don't see any people. Is there lights on in any of the buildings? Save for the opera house? No. Okay. Perhaps that's what it is in all of this. Perhaps there is a sh- an opera going on or some sort of um, social gathering inside. Yeah, maybe everybody is gathered there. Do I hear any sounds like any like crickets or birds or or any noise whatsoever? Why don't you give me a listen roll? I got a eight out of 70. I got an extreme success. You begin to hear the sound of violins play. It starts very small, almost at at the edge of your perceptions. And as it grows, begins to play in a strangely erratic sequence. It's as if the violin player has perhaps some sort of seizure or some sort of hyper-focus or or, or erratic play as their uh, fingers and bow create this strangely misshapen audio terror. Well, I'm sure it's the music itself is probably erratic. Is there any piece of the music that I would recognize? 
bits of it, perhaps. And you have a strange memory come to of perhaps an orchestral event that you went to with your parents. This would have been years ago. It would have been in Philadelphia, maybe 15 to 20 years ago. You were very young. And there is some memory there of perhaps a cellist playing something similar. Erratic, uh, high tempo, almost frenetic. As if they're trying to play every note at once. Do I remember the play that we were the, the event that we went to? You remember being dressed up. You remember your father specifically fussing a bit over what you chose to wear or what your mother chose to put you in and him being very concerned about the other social events that were happening that evening, people who would be there. It wouldn't be uncommon, of course, for your father to fuss over such things given his position. Do I find anything odd about the memory other than the the music playing? You remember during the arrangements and during the event, you remember that your mother was very morose is what you would call it now. She was very closed. While your father listened, she spent most of her time either holding your hand or reading the program. Like she wasn't listening to the to the to the event or like to the arrangement. She was uh, perhaps, perhaps, but moreover, you think the at least now as an adult, the impression that you get is that your mother didn't want to be there. That there was something that she was being forced to do, forced to attend. Do I have any other memories from the evening other than other other than just listening to that? Like any interactions with other people, or do I remember any other people there that would have caught my eye? There were other people there, obviously your father especially would have kept up appearances as he would call it he would have made sure to glad hand people but as for specifics the really the the memory that you clutch to from it just hearing the the music now here is that you remember your mother getting into the carriage but you remember the horses and the carriage and the driver of that carriage helping your mother and you into it while your father continued his social obligations. And before he entered that carriage, the common billow of cigar smoke, you remember your mother weeping, not crying in an uncontrollable way, but you remember her being overcome with emotion. You don't remember about what, but it's a a memory that stains your brain because you remember your fingertips being moist after catching and touching her tears it's a very distinct memory now and you almost cling to it well it's a memory i haven't obviously thought about in a, in a very long time kind of wondering why i'm why i'm here and listening to that and what that what that all means it has to all be connected in some way shape or form my mother was never one to just weep like randomly so <laughs> she you know She's a very strong woman and has always, you know, has always come across that way. Okay, I will walk towards the opera house. Is there any posters or anything up that I can see of? There is a relatively yellowish-orange poster that lists at the side of the door. 
It's um, a little decayed. Looks like it's been in the holder for some time. There are even traces of it at the bottom that are turning to to green a bit from uh, the ink that was used. Are there any photos? Is there any, like, what's the picture on the... On the uh... It's a group of people. There are two men on the left and the right, uh, and they both hold one hand of the woman in the center. Do I recognize any of the people? No, you don't. You do see that between her, like at her feet, what would be between her legs, not that she's kneeling, she's standing as they all are. There is a crown, a rather ostentatious golden crown, but there's no name or title on this poster. It's as if it's been ripped or burned away. Interesting. Do I recognize the crown from anywhere? Was it perhaps in a vision you'd had on the boat? Was there a crown there? Your brain tries to pluck the memory from your voyage across to London, but you you can't seem to get at it. It's almost as if it, it's a bowl of jello that you're trying to clutch onto. Are you talking the vision that I had when I touched the book? Mm-hmm. Hmm. One of my favorite memories. I just shake my head uh, trying to get my thoughts in order. I feel a little out of sorts, just not knowing where I am, a little hazy. Am I where I'm supposed to be? I don't feel like I am. I'm like, I, I was just on a train and here I am now. <laughs> I, I just looking around for my, where's, where are my friends? You feel disoriented for certain. You have not been alone, this alone, in quite some time. It's strange. I get the feeling I'm being watched, I, but I can't see anything. Yeah, you don't see any other people here on the street. After you kind of look around for a bit, if you don't feel anyone to the left or right or behind you, the most difficult part you have is that there's nothing there. The streets seem to go on, the alleys seem to go on until you lose sight of them. And there is simply nothing No cats, no dogs barking in the background, no birds or buzzing of insects, no fireflies. It's all as if they've all decayed away. This is very strange indeed. I have no weapons on me, do I? (laughs) No. (laughs) All right, so I I will go into the opera house. I mean, is the door unlocked? I'm... (laughs) Yeah, you can you reach for the opera house door and you pull it, and uh, it it opens. Okay, is it light in there or is it dark? The opera house itself is a little dilapidated, but there is some light. There is light in the center of the stage, and that comes from what looks like a a fire of some sort, like a fire pit. Mm-hmm. There are chairs, as you would expect. It's not a very deep opera house. It looks like it seats maybe a hundred people. And so it's definitely something that is probably not up to what you are used to as far as the standards of big New York or Philadelphia opera houses or even the ones you saw in in Paris. Although the one in Paris was a little small too. It wasn't an opera house. It was a playhouse. That said, there are lights and there are seats and Unlike the outside, there is someone in here. Are they facing me or? 
They are not facing you. They are facing away from you. They're facing the stage. They're about halfway up the row there and just off of, off to the right of the main row. And uh, their appearance is fairly familiar. It's a very short man, very dark hair. Even from this angle and that this light would know Mr. Wilde as soon as you saw him. Of course. So is the opera house, like there's the stage up front there and then the seats are all, is there an aisle to, for me to take the long way around? Yeah, and if you wanted to go far right and approach him from essentially his right at that point, you could do that. You don't have to walk up the center aisle. Okay, I, I'd like to do that because I don't want to come up behind him. You get closer, right, to the middle of the row and you can see the stage a little bit better. You can see that there are a couple of, it looks like it's set up to be a, uh, a house. What's the, the props that are on stage, the background, it looks like it's some sort of home. And there is a, this roaring fire. There's a kitchen table. There's a couple of chairs. The backdrop even has a window. It's all very staged. You can clearly tell that they're all fake. None of this is real. Um, but it's a play, and so it's not supposed to be real, right? Right. Uh, so you approach Mr. Wilde then? Oh, I do. He notices your approach, and he nods to you very cautiously. Like, is he nervous? Mm, what's your psychology? It is a 10, so I probably won't know. Oh, you have base psychology at that point. I'm happy to give you a roll for it. Okay. If it's 80 out of 10. Yeah, you're not sure. Um, he's sitting uh, a bit straight up. You know, he's, he's straight up in his chair. Uh, he watches you approach. He does stand up just a little bit as you get closer. And he doesn't have a hat to take off, of course, but he does acknowledge your arrival. Does he have his cat? You know, you don't see the cat. Hmm. That's a little odd. I'm not going to get too close to him. I just want to come up to where I'm in front of him. How many rows away from the stage is he? Well, if there are, say, 10 rows, he's probably at row five. Okay. He's about halfway up. I'm going to grab one of the chairs in the front row, and I'm going to just flip it around to sit and face him. Okay. He looks at you a little strangely. Mr. Wilde? Yes. He raises his voice a little. Does he know who I am? Well, he seems to. Okay. He stands up, walks a couple aisles closer to you, and then sits down in a chair. If we're going to have a conversation, Miss Lane, we can't be yelling at each other across the opera house. This is ridiculous. Well, where? How did I get here? I was on the I was on the Orient Express. What am I? What? Where are we? I don't know. But you don't know. You know, like everything. I don't. How did you get here? I don't know. Where's your cat? It's at this point when he says, I don't know the second time, you can tell that he's concerned about something. So he's just as in the dark as I am? You think so? At least that's the perception you have of the situation. Okay. What is the last thing that you remember? I was talking with someone uh, in Paris. Oh. After our meeting, of course. The last thing I remember is being on the Orient Express headed to Egypt. Well, that would be our final destination. Mm. You um, you hear a click of some sort. It seems mechanical. 
and the stage is bathed in light from above. What color light? White or spotlight. Okay. Before I turn around or anything, I look at Mr. Wild. Have you seen anybody since you got here? Not a soul. You're the first. I have a feeling somebody wants to talk to us. Two figures walk through the door from the outside on the stage. Uh, They are two men. I angle my chair so I'm sitting where I can see both them and Mr. Wild. You hear one of the men say, Hildred, it is simply not possible. This is a, uh, we'll say the shorter of the two gentlemen. They both seem to be roughly in their mid-twenties, give or take. The shorter man continues, You can say whatever you want. You can believe whatever you want. But that book you've been reading has filled your head with lies. The taller man turns to the shorter man and says, Louis, the military has taught you much. It has shown you to be a reasonable person. And I know that you want great things from me. Louis, the shorter man, turns and says, Hildred, you cannot possibly be king. You are a common man, just like I. You have no birthright to anything. Hildred turns to Louis and says, that is not what this book says. And he holds up a book you've seen before. What book is it? It's the book Mr. Wild normally carries. Oh. This book, he continues, says that I am going to be king. I will have my imperial crown and I will rule. What are they dressed like? They're dressed in, it seems a a bit of the strangest style of clothing. It almost seems like they're they're dressed in something 17th or 18th century. It's a little older than you would expect. But yet, even though those styles sit, right? Those wide, wide tunic collars and there is something about their speech pattern that is not of that century. It is modern. And so it feels weird to you to see modern dialogue on a setting and scene that was clearly from hundreds of years ago. Like, is it just being interpreted for modern language for us? Or is it really, is this like the future? Or are they clearly from the 17th or 18th century? It's possible that this is the future or one imagined future. Do they seem to notice us sitting in the audience? They have not, not once. But it's the look on Mr. Wilde's face currently. He seems very concerned, especially that with Hildred, this man who's held up the book, he seems very concerned. I look over at Mr. Wilde. Do you know those guys? I do, says in a very grave tone. Is this the past or the future that they're talking about? He turns to you. I haven't long, Miss Lane, but I need you to understand something. The play continues as you're talking with Mr. Wilde. It seems that Louis and Hildred are having... They begin to to change their topic. They begin to argue about something else. They begin to argue about a woman. And her name is Constance. Mr. Wilde says... The book I have kept for so very long 
has been something that has been done with an exacting nature. It is a book. He pauses. You hear Louis say, She is my betrothed. We are all ready to be married. You cannot have her. You cannot simply take whatever you want. Mr. Wilde continues. The book is filled with lies. I was wrong to show it to you. I know that. I cannot unshow it to you, unfortunately, as much as I would like to. You must understand, I have created, or I believe I have created, a grand conspiracy, one which stretches from nation to nation. I have been following the play. I have been following each act in kind. I have read ahead. I know what happens in the play. What what play? The real life play of America? He shakes his head. No, 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 no. This is far larger than America. This is a a plot to, to, to ruin and corrupt everything at every level. You, you, you must understand that the rich, the powerful, they play at this game. They have seen the words on the page. They know what will happen. They craft their lies and their lives to fit. And it is all in service to he who will not be named. I look a little confused at this point. But where did you... If the book is full of lies, did you know it was full of lies when you showed it to me? Of course not. I believed. Where did you get the book from? I found it. You must understand. He pulls at his left earlobe. You see a rather strange texture come off on his fingers. Like when he pulls at his earlobe, uh, it's almost like a bit of his skin comes with it. Not in a, almost like in a blistered sense, right? Like someone pulls a blister off. There's mm-hmm. no, um, you know, there's no blood per se. There's no fluid. It's almost as if there's a waxy residue between his fingers. So, but where did you find the book? It does not matter, Miss Lane. No. No, you listen to me this time. It does not matter where I found the book. You cannot find it there anymore. The book exists in one place and all places. It is now here, he gestures to the stage where you see Hildred still has it in his hand as they continue to argue. A woman has appeared in the doorway. Does the woman see us? She does not. She seems to be looking at these two men who are continuing to argue over her. Is it Constance? You get the feeling that it is. Um, she seems to gravitate much more towards Louis than Hildred. Can you tell me more about these men and the woman? Do they ex- do are they do they exist today in my in my timeline? In my time in 1925. Perhaps, uh, perhaps in uh, different bodies, perhaps in different places. I have not been everywhere yet. You see that this all came apart at the seams. Each page came out of the book. And I could not keep them together any longer. I could not keep the ruse from destroying me. So the book no longer exists? Or is it everywhere now? No, the book does exist. He points again to the stage. So it's there right now. In this moment, it is here. Are, are you Are you okay? Are, you seem like... Are you sick? His ear falls off. 
Oh, that's not good. You can see when his ear comes away from his head that the ear itself is simply wax. It's like a prop. And that he has a much smaller, maybe malformed ear underneath. What time period are you from? He turns to you and looks quizzically. Like, how many years have you been alive? Because... Miss Lane, Lane, you do not focus on the proper questions. Your mind is worried about time periods. You should be worried about yourself. You have opened the book. You have seen inside of it now. What would you like me to do? Do I need to get that book up there to keep it safe? He puts his hand in his head, like his hands in his head. Cover his eyes to to weep. Just this, this full body shaking cry. And he pulls his hands back up and you see that trace lines of his skin are now discolored. They're almost jaundiced. I just need you to tell me what you want me to do. Is, is there is is our world in danger? Is there something I need to protect? Everyone is in danger now. You most. Why me? You've seen it. You've seen what's inside of it. You've seen the lie. That lie has been told. So those people up there could exist in my world, but they may be in different bodies. Correct? Mm-hmm. How will I know that it's them? Do I need to seek them out? I, I, I need you to tell me what the per- my purpose is. You see Hildred on stage slam the book down on the table and stalk out of the house. Constance and Louis come closer to one another and then they almost walk off stage, not down into the, the audience area, but stage left like they are leaving the story. And the door to the house closes. Before they come back, I jump out of the chair and Mm -hmm. I run up on stage to grab the book. The violins pick up again in the background almost instantly as soon as you get on stage. And then you go forward to grab the book. It's there. You see a very plain cover and the title that sits on front of it, which is not the title you expect it to be. Okay. You expect the books will say the Imperial Dynasty of America. Right. It does not. It says the King in Yellow. The King in Yellow? And it says that in English? Oh, yes. And as you kind of touch the cover itself, you hear footfalls from behind you, like someone's walking. Is it Mr. Wilde? You turn, and you see at the back of the opera house, there are two very elegant very uh, (laughs) well-appointed ballet dancers who have begun dancing into the opera house. They are covered from head to toe in yellowish-orange fabric, this almost ribbon-like fabric, thick in some places, thin in others, and it seems to create a wonderful swirling effect. Um, you probably have seen ribbon dancers in real life, yeah? Yes. Yeah. So very similar to that, except the ribbons are attached all over. And it seems to flow, the fabric itself seems to flow back and forth as the violins continue to almost assist in their dancing. You see that the ballet dancers have synced up with the music. And one goes left and one goes right, and they dance through the hall. 
do they take notice of Mr. Wild and I? They don't. They actually don't seem to pay attention to anything except their dancing. And as you stand there on stage with the book in hand, you can feel the cello in your chest when it hits the lower tones. And you feel the rhythm of the dance as they wind their ways through the aisle. And you become transfixed quite easily at their motions because they are so fascinating. They wear a mask over their faces, each one of its own creation. Uh, One is very dark and somewhat gray. The other one has a splash of beautiful red over it, as if a splatter painter had caught it. I'm staring over at them, having a hard time tearing my eyes away from from their movements, but I do want to see what Mr. Wilde is up to. Is he still in his chair? Mm, Yes, he's still in his chair. He seems to be rocking back and forth very calmly now. His eyes are sunken a bit in to his skull. He seems to be almost withering, but the dancers pay him no mind. They pass back and forth between the aisles, back and forth. And it's not that they're getting closer to you, per se, or further away. They are simply moving through the aisles, their ribbons caressing very calmly each chair and portion of the floor that they dance along. I feel like I still, even though I'm, I don't want to look in the book, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. Am I able to turn around and follow where Constance and Louis and Hildred went to? If you look left, stage left, where you look, it looks like it goes into a backstage area. Um, Out the door itself, it appears, if you go out the back door, there's, maybe there's a backstage area? Okay, I I don't really want to try to move Mr. Wild at this point because he looks like he's... I don't think he's long for whatever world we're sitting in at this moment. I'd like to go see if I can have a conversation with those, with the, even if they they probably won't notice me, but I, I'd like to go see what they're up to. and. Sure. Exit out the back door of the stage then? Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you exit out the back door of the stage, the world rapidly shifts around you, and you see yourself out what looks like in a complete backstage area, although the distance that you traveled and where you've appeared seems to have been changed. It doesn't feel like you just stepped out the back door. It feels like you went substantially further. What you see in front of you is one of the men dead on the floor. Which one? It looks like Louis has been killed. The one that proclaimed himself king? No, no. That would, that would be Hildred that proclaimed himself king. Okay. Um, next to Louis is Constance, who seems to be holding him, like cradling him uh, in his moment of passing. And it looks like two men, two other men, who are dressed in these strange, almost turquoise blue uniforms, are hauling Hildred away, like out the backstage door. And he seems to be bantering on and on about how Louis can no longer do anything to stop him, that he will be king, and that he will rule in his rightful place with his crown. And this crown that he gestures with 
appears to be just a ring of stylized wicker. There is no gold here. I kneel down next to Constance to see if I can get her attention. I pat her on the shoulder or something, or ma'am. She looks up at you, her eyes full of tears, and she says that life wasn't supposed to happen like this. There was supposed to be a plan. God said there was a plan. Are are you okay? Can I help you with something? She lifts Louis just a little bit, not so much to try to pick him up, but almost to show him to you as if he's a, a prized possession almost. And she says, I want, I want him back. Can you give him back to me? Um, I'm sorry. I, do, I don't have that power. Who does? I don't, I don't know. I don't, we're not meant to come back after we leave. She begins weeping. What plan did God have in store for you? We were told. We were told by... Louis was told. Mr. Wilde told him that we would have a great future. And then he filled... He must have filled Hildred's head with these lies about being king. Why? I... I don't know. I'm... I'm... I'm sorry. I'm sorry this happened to you. I'm trying to wrap my head around everything that I'm hearing. And and everything that Mr. Wilde told me. And my brain wants wants something to be logical does that's just that's how I am can I, I I don't mean to bother you and can I ask you what year this is she turns her head year what year are you like what a silly question of course it's 1920 it's, it's 1920 what uh, where are we what, what what location is this this is New York. I look around. It does not look like New York. Who's president? President. Or prime minister or king? When you say king, she starts crying. There is no king. Who rules this land? Who rules New York? The same person who always has. And who is that? I'm sorry, I must have hit my head at some I I, I fell at some point and hit my head, so I... I'm just trying to remember things. He will not be named. He will not. That's the second time I've heard that. He will not be named. He must not. What happens if we name him? He may appear. Oh, and we don't want that? Her eyes go totally black. Oh? No. You hear her voice reverberate around the room. We do not. He must stay deep in the lake where he is. You must not name him. Never name him. Okay. What lake is he in? She seems to just shake her head. Two more men come in the back door. Same blue uniforms. I get up quickly and back away. (laughs) They collect Louis and Constance and take them outside. I'm going to follow behind them at a safe distance. They haven't noticed me yet or care about me yet, do they? It doesn't seem so, um, but time and distance dilate a little bit for you, and you're just na- able to reach the door before it closes. Before the door closes? Mm-hmm. Okay. I grab the handle and open the door. You grab the handle and open the door. You step through? I'm stepping through. You find yourself back on stage, as if you'd come through the door that was on stage, although the opera has changed drastically. 
The dancers are gone. The fire is out. The roof has been ripped off. And through this unbelievable moon, this yellow moon that sits over the opera, you see Mr. Wilde laid out in the aisle, the middle aisle. His throat has been ripped out and his pet cat is close by and covered in blood. Like the cat did it? Perhaps. I go over. Um, is there any blanket or anything on stage? Any any sort of linen? No. No. I go over to Mr. Wild and I look at the cat. The cat looks up at you. Its mouth is covered in blood. What are you? I just shake my head. I'm not gonna touch I'm not gonna touch the cat. It hisses at you. Oh. How far away is the cat? Oh, probably five or ten feet. Like when you get closer, you get close enough to see its the, the its blood covered mouth and it hiss and it makes its own way in through some of the sites, uh, the seats to to leave. Okay. Well that's good. It can go. I, I kneel down to search Mr. Wilde's if he he's still wearing his clothes and stuff, correct? You give him a thorough pat down. Um, he has next to nothing on him. The only thing he does have on him is a gold ring. It looks like a wedding band. I grab it. Okay. You grab it. It's gold. It's a little tarnished on the inside. Honestly, I don't think Mr. Wilde, that really wasn't his name. But <laughs> I don't know if we're ever going to know who he really was. Or the cat. Okay. Is there any, any, there's nobody else in the building, obviously. No, it's actually uh, looking, looking at the place now as you stand in it with this body. The, the body is the freshest thing here. Everything else looks like it has been laid open and bare to the elements for 20 years. There's dust, there's wood rot, there's all sorts of just discordant energy that sits in this room and you can't cast your gaze up a little every so often at that moon which has yellowed I mean it is kind of pretty is there any newspaper or anything around that might give me an inkling as to what the date was recently nope I have this feeling we time jumped again um at least I don't I don't know I uh, have I realized I'm dreaming yet it does seem a bit surreal. Everything here is a little off. The building is off. The movement for you is off. The moon is far too close. Far too close. And it's the wrong color. This sickly yellow that has tinged the moon is very strange. The only thing that seems to be a constant, things that you feel are right, is the book in your hand. I look down at it. Mm hmm and it still has the same title, correct? Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm a curious woman by nature. Are you now? So I'm going to open the book. Well, I think that is as good a time to end. So I'm going to leave you right there. So thanks for having a, a fun memory lane jaunt with me, Miss uh, Lane. And uh, we will see you next episode. Thanks so much.